we proceed with our discussion of certain objections which have been raised against the Bible in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? We have in our recent visits been considering certain moral objections which have been raised against the inspiration of the Bible and particularly of the Old Testament. It is affirmed by the objectors that the fact that the Bible records the many sinful indulgences that men have fallen into by their own persistence in rebellion is an indication that it was not inspired by God, that the Bible in such a condition has not been the uplift that it should have been in the direction of morals. But we have affirmed, contrarywise to this, that the very fact that the Bible does honestly describe the sins of men is an indication that it was not written by the mere volitions of men. Men would lean toward a covering up of their sin and a concentration upon whatever tendencies of virtues they may think that they possess. So the very fact that the Bible does describe not only the sins of the uh, persistent wicked men in sin, but of God's own dear servants is a tremendous evidence that the Bible aims to be perfectly truthful and to set forth sin not in an entertaining fashion, but in a pronouncement of woe upon it. It is an inducement to seek to persuade men to forsake its dreadful endeavors and escape the punishment that is most certainly to come. Then it has been objected against the Bible and particularly the Old Testament that there are many cruelties and severe judgments described therein which the God of the New Testament would not partake of. Now this indeed it cannot be substantiated as we have seen because judgments are pronounced by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the writers of the New Testament. Yea, a greater judgment awaits those who reject the abounding mercy of God during this tremendous age of the grace of God. So we will cite one more important example of the visiting hand of God in judgment and we think of those nations who persisted in ungodliness in the land of Palestine. The descendants of Canaan are described in Genesis chapter 10, verses 15 to 19. They became the occupants of the land of Palestine and were notorious for their idolatry and unrestrained moral corruption. Several references in the Bible testify to this extreme corruption of immorality intermixed with religious rites, even worshiping their pagan gods by sacrificing their own sons and daughters. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God spoke to Abraham that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, implying their coming destruction. Concerning Lot, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, we have an indication of vileness and vice in chapter 19 and verse 5. In Leviticus chapter 18, we have many immoral 
prohibitions that had to be instituted among the nation Israel because of the vileness of these nations that were to surround them. In Leviticus chapter 18, 1 to 4, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelled, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments, and keep mine ordinances, to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Also in Leviticus chapter 20, we have further such prohibitions, with the added warnings against the practices used by pagan nations of Palestine in the worship of Moloch. Parents gave up their children to death by compelling them to pass through the fire or into the furnace of fire. Archaeological excavations in Palestine have uncovered piles of ashes and remains of infant skeletons in cemeteries around heathen altars, showing the wide practice of this cruel abomination. This is also referred to in the Psalms 106 and verses 34 to 38. Here again we have the wickedness described. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus we see the awful description of the sin that prevailed in Palestine. Archaeologists are agreed that nowhere has there been found greater evidence of abundant immorality and cruelty in the guise of religion than in the excavations of the inhabitants of Palestine. One great scholar wrote, no other people ever rivaled them in the mixture of bloodshed and debauchery with which they thought to honor their deity. New excavations since 1930 have made available a great mass of information on these unspeakable corruptions of the Canaanites in their religious practices and overwhelmingly prove the truthfulness of the Bible accounts and justify God in ordering their destruction. We are now prepared to read God's command to Moses concerning the destruction of the Canaanites and every possible trace of their practices. This we read in the 34th chapter of the book of Exodus, verses 10 to 17. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant, God is speaking, before all thy people I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou shalt see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Parasite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. 
Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou shalt take of their daughters unto their sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, to make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. And so we again have the command reviewed in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Here God specifically told Moses of his responsibility in this matter. But we cannot take time to read this tremendous passage. The question arises, is it morally right on the part of God and on the part of the nation Israel to drive out and put to death most of the Canaanites and take over their land? Certainly it would not be right for this to be done unless such a fearful judgment was their due. If they had been a people honoring God, or even among the best of the pagan nations, such violent judgment would certainly be hardly defensible from a point of justice. So many times in the Bible it is declared that God is no respecter of persons, or does not respect one above another if there is no reason. But in view of the extreme wickedness of the Canaanites, God has revealed the fact that his tolerance of them had come to an end. In consideration of this justice, of pronouncing their destruction, no one can find any objection to God's placing Israel in the land. This decision on the part of God is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. In verse 5 we read that God did not give the land to Israel because of any favoritism, but drove out these nations and uh, appointed them to judgment because of their exceeding great wickedness. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go in to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After the death of Moses, Joshua was commissioned by divine visitation before the strange destruction of the walls of Jericho took place, as I read in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. It cannot be said that the Israelites manifested personal cruelty in these violent judgments, since they were acting in behalf of the judging hand of God upon the vile practices of these nations. Certain it is that God is under obligation as the moral governor of men to restrain sin and to keep it in check to some necessary degree. Certainly God is justified in this, and any whom he may appoint to act as his agents in executing his righteous judgment certainly is in order. What is right no one can object to. The Bible charges men with the voluntary choice of the ways of sin, in spite of all the surrounding moral light that has been shed upon their way.
men are guilty, and righteous retribution is justified. If men act for God, their own moral character is not involved. They are agents acting for another. God also used pagan nations to bring righteous judgment upon Israel. For example, when the nation Israel so rejected the warnings of the humble and faithful prophet Isaiah, God warned that the great Assyrian nation would be used to humble his own people because of their hypocrisy, as we read in Isaiah 10, 5 and 6. Thus the great God reigns supreme in world affairs and in the councils of eternity when sin will be known as it really is, none will dare to charge God with injustice, because men will then be in a proper state to evaluate all of God's actions. In the meantime, our responsibility is to reverence the Word of God and the actions of God, and see that we walk humbly in the presence of God with our sins forgiven by the grace of God through faith in Christ. Certainly we can say with Abraham, with all the more confidence than he because of the many more centuries that men have experienced the grace and mercy of God, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the vindication of thy word, that as we view thy great and loving heart and view our own guilt as a human moral mass of humanity. How we thank thee for the frankness and honesty and warnings of the Bible. Now we pray that many may so repent that thou canst afford to forgive them through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the whole world and that many may be reconciled to thee. In Jesus' name, amen.